This is the start of the show. Welcome to Justin Nick of Time. Boom. Again. Uh, again. Again. <laughs> the wheel of time turns, and so we turn with it in college football season. <laughs> time zero marches forward, as do we. The arc of history is long, and it bends towards college football. Blood alone moves the wheels of history. So... <laughs> Oh my god. The blood of Husker fans. It was a lot happier after Saturday. Yeah. We had happy blood. Happy blood. So this is gonna be a weird one. Strap yes. in, folks. I can feel it now. Oh my god. This is how we started. Yeah, this is just downhill from here. You all know it. All okay. eight of you. Is Why eight is generous? downhill from here a bad thing? Like because there's also an uphill battle, which is also a bad thing. Like, which side of the hill I, is the good? I Just the top? Ultimately, everything is a bad thing. Okay. That is kind of where I'm landing. <laughs> uh, it's just that it's it's just not great out there, kids. Uh, particularly for certain football teams that we'll talk about later. Yeah. Uh, in our later segment. But it is, there is, there is at least calm in Mudville this week. I don't know if there's yeah. joy in Mudville, but I've been panicking less for a week. <laughs> and uh, and let's talk about that. The Nebraska Cornhuskers football team played the Fordham, are they, what are the Fordhams? The Rams. The Rams. Right. Yes. Yeah, because of the weird stories about Rams that were yep. like. Ramsey's. I, I can't believe I for, didn't think to have Ramsey's as a segment last episode. Yeah, but like we missed the boat. We can't yeah. go back and talk about Ramsey's now. Wikipedia that. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, it was... There's so little of worth to say about this football game. Yes, it was far too close for far too long. But yeah. at the end of the day, we accomplished everything we needed to in exactly that game. Exactly what we wanted to do. We beat them by more than what the spread was. Mm-hmm. Our backups played for the vast majority of the second half. And looked good. Looked good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the first quarter was shaky. I think that's yes. to be expected after a gut-wrenching loss in game one. That, mm-hmm. like, momentum is going to be hard to come by. Uh, but once we found it, we didn't lose it. Adrian at no point ran the offense like a well-oiled machine, but it was a somewhat oiled machine in moments. It was like moderately to mediocrely oiled, right? I I wouldn't say mediocrely oiled. It was moderately oiled. A moderately oiled machine. Yeah, it got the job done. Certainly worked. Yeah, fair to Midland. Yeah. Like, (laughs) it maybe made a funny noise every now and then, but it got you from point A to point B. It was like my old Ford Taurus on a good day. Uh, whereas, like, against Illinois, there was smoke pouring out of the uh, the air ducts. So, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, it, look, it just felt better. It felt yes. good to be back in Lincoln with a bunch of fans. It felt good to have, like, a Vine Street breakfast runza. It felt good to watch this team do what it was supposed to do after week one that was really really reassuring yes the team looked i guess you know good as relative because it's against fordham but the team looked talented like yeah certainly we have some good players on this team because 
the talent gap between us and Fordham was very apparent and very obvious that we have some guys who can get stuff done Yeah, and in I, the right scenarios. This team can win games where you don't have to ask them to outsmart anyone, mm-hmm. right? I, I think that when all they've got to do is against considerably lesser talent run the ball forward and like pull off some mid-length passes to stretch out the defense a little bit. Yeah. I don't remember any big home run plays. There were a couple, I'm sure. Yeah. But nothing that was like, oh my God. No, there wasn't anything like that 75-yard touchdown run Adrian had against Illinois. When this offense moved the ball, it moved the ball forward. At our scoring drives, most of them involved not a single play going backwards. That's how you, you know, that's how a methodical offensive drive should look. And the receivers were, for the most part, wide open. And Adrian, for the most part, found them where they were open. And I saw that to be very encouraging, especially with Samori Toure, who there's this one throw in the third quarter that really impressed me because it was a fourth and two, and Toure was running this crossing route, and Adrian put the ball exactly where it needed to be between two defenders before Tour had even reached that spot. <laughs> That's how the game of football should be played. Yeah. So <laughs> it kind of says something that I'm that excited about, you know, a passing route <laughs> being <laughs> thrown to properly. But, but it was cool to see. And, and I don't think that you're alone in that. I don't think yeah. you're one of the only Husker fans who's saying to themselves, uh, oh, thank God, finally, we looked competent. But that's what we did. We just got out there and played, like, three good quarters of football in a row, like, consecutive good quarters of football. Um, not a lot of issues on snaps. No. Not a lot of turnover issues. No. Our, there was one fumble that sort of took us – back a bit in the first drive of the game. Mm-hmm. The other fumble was in garbage time. So, you know. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Side note, I love garbage time. I feel like it's the most pure form of any sport. Yeah. Because it's just guys out there for fun, mostly. Like Yeah, and like at least half of them probably aren't having that much fun. Exactly. <laughs> so it was cool to see that. And a uh, shout out to a player to watch, Ryan Greenhagen of Fordham who finished with an NCAA record 31 tackles on the game. Like, if he wasn't out there, this game probably is a whole lot worse for the Rams. So that was, you know, props to them. They do have some dudes. Not a lot of them. Not to the caliber of what we've got, but this was what a Nebraska-Fordham game should have looked like, should have finished like, should have felt like, save for the first quarter. And you know what? I will take three-fourths of a good football game. Yeah. Consecutively. No big momentum shift once we got it. I think mm-hmm. that was huge. The fact that once we put the hammer down, it was clear we had it down and we were okay. Yeah. Even after we fumbled another punt, they, didn't, they got nothing out of that. We intercepted the ball right back. Here's something that grinds my gears. What is, and it was reaffirmed Earlier this week, yes. maybe even earlier today, what is the obsession with Cam Taylor Britt being back for these punts? I don't know. Um, Frost said something in his post game presser I thought was interesting. That he, he said, uh, 
we tell our guys to try to catch the ball no matter what on punts. So. What? Yeah, he said that. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, but the no matter what is kind of, you know, concerning because there's a couple what's. There are there. lots of what's that I would say. And <laughs> including if two it's of them. a touchback. Yeah. Or it takes a weird bounce right in front of you. Probably get out of the way instead of, you know, <laughs> trying to do some lightning fast reflex. Yeah. Because <laughs> that doesn't work out too often in your favor. I have no doubt that on one out of ten punt returns where he catches the ball cleanly, Cam Taylor Britt could light some people up and do something really special. Yes. But at this point, having him back there, it's hurting the team Mm -hmm. and it's hurting his draft stock. Yeah, the risk-reward is not worth it. Like, I agree. I I have no doubt that he's probably the most talented punt returner on this roster when he gets the ball and gets going. But given that he's made two mistakes in two games including one that resulted in a safety by penalty. I would much rather have like a Jordan Wester camp type returner who's going to fair catch every time. That's fine. Yeah. That's totally cool with me. It's, I, I'm cool with punt returns not being big plays for us ever again, as long as they're no longer disastrous plays. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that was the original kind of momentum shift in the Illinois game mm-hmm. where we just never got it back from there. And I also think, ultimately, this is not a talented enough roster to have people get hurt. Where do football players most frequently get hurt? Kick returns and punt returns. Because you have 11 guys running at you, screaming like furies, trying to concuss you. That's... Just how it is. And I think you want to, like, it's hard as a fan. I'm a, I imagine it's hard as a coach to have the humility to say, we do not have the talent, the depth, the capability to be a complete football team this year. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what's going on, we don't. We need to pick a shtick and get good at it. Um, or, or at the very least, just realize your limitations in certain positions. Yeah. Some, some positions we have are deeper than others. That's true of almost every football team. Like, it's not that humbling to admit that. But if Taylor Britt goes down, that's a huge... Oh, monumental for the secondary. Yeah. Like, like Williams is good, you know. Dismuke is solid. The safeties are good, but the corners... No. They are just not there yet. Braxton Clark hasn't really done much. Quentin Newsom's been fine, mostly. Tyreek Johnson, the Ohio State transfer, saw the field for like two plays against Fordham. Yeah. So he's not ready yet if he's ever going to be. Right. And corners are such a tricky position because Cam Taylor Britt is doing even more than we think he's doing. If you've got a whole side of the field that you can neutralize, Mm -hmm. that's massive. It changes the way that your safeties and your linebackers play the game of football. And it lets you get more aggressive on the blitz which helps you stop the run more. It helps you stop the passes that your linebackers should be taking care of. It takes work off of your safeties on that end of the field. It would be bad, and I see it coming. I just think... (laughs) I mean, you look at him 
roll around with that first punt return in the end zone for a safety, and you think that guy's going to hurt himself. You want to yell stop before you hurt yourself because it just takes one person to lower the crown of their helmet and come out of nowhere and knock his lights out for the afternoon. And then we got concussion recovery or he hurts something else. He tears an ACL and we're off to the races. Yeah, save Adrian. Taylor Britt's the one guy I don't think you can lose. But... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I don't feel that insane impending sense of doom, I guess, that you do about Taylor Britt's injury. He he has, like, some injury history, but I don't know. I, I, I think we need to, just as a fan base, get ready for Adrian to get hurt and be done with football. Because when you look at other quarterbacks that have been like him in the past, where it's really talented but injury-prone and not super confident, and oh, by the way, the panic option for Adrian is always to use your legs, right? Yep. And for the first time in a while against Ford and we had a reliable ground game we could go to and that wasn't just Adrian. I don't think that extrapolates to any other game on our it schedule. Does. I think that this is the kind of talent gap where, but I just think our running game is. I, I, I think it's the blocking, first of all. Yeah. Because what I saw from Marquis Step against Fordham, this guy is the real deal. Yeah, Step is great. Step is great. But it's, our, it's the offensive line, I think, which has taken a massive step back. I will go so far as to say the offensive and defensive lines. We struggle in. Yeah. I don't see a lot of plays, even against Fordham, where it was like, oh, wow, that was just great work from the defensive line as a whole. Whereas if you watch games across the country, I mean, we'll get to it, but I think Georgia Clemson was decided by line play. Mm -hmm. Honest to God, that Georgia defensive line caused so much trouble for Clemson's offense now, granted, Clemson's offense is not what it once was. We all knew this was going to be a struggling Clemson offense. Mm -hmm. And Clemson's defense played great. Yes. But it was really Georgia's offensive line that I think tipped the scales and made it impossible for a floundering offense to do anything, to get into field goal range consistently. You know, I mean, and I think that it's hard. I think that offensive line culture and defensive line culture is something you have to build over years and years and years. So maybe maybe I shouldn't expect that, but it's pretty damn glaring in our case. Yeah, that you got some good push against Fordham, but that was Fordham, and that wasn't, you know, all the time. Like, look at points in the first half where the offensive line sort of, there was one play, this is great describing, I don't remember when it was, but there was one play where Adrian had a wide-open receiver, but he didn't have time to look for him because the O-line collapsed. But for the most part, they played good. The second half, they marched forward just as well with the offense. The defensive line had one play, I remember, it was the fourth down where they had great pressure. But other mm, than that, yeah. the only right. sack the defense had came from the secondary on a blitz. But it's Fordham. We, we won 52-7. to seven. There are plenty of time to really dissect these issues after future games. I, no, I agree with you. I don't think we need to get that deeply yeah. into it. But the reason I bring some of this stuff up is because we're going to have what I think you can really describe as a real test today. Mm -hmm. or, I mean, tomorrow. Um, 
I think it's going to be an emotional game. Uh, considering the date, considering the uniforms, considering kind of what's happening, if you look, um, Nebraska football had just like a crazy, beautiful tribute 20 years ago after 9-11. Um, granted, a lot more people were watching our games on TV at that time. <laughs> but um, I think it's just going to be an emotional day. We're playing in New York school. Um, I think that it's also emotional because this feels like <sighs> this is a must win. As yes. much or honestly more than Illinois was at this point. Because I, I agree. Uh, just scrolling through the college football commentary YouTube, I saw this thumbnail that says, this game is for Scott Frost's job, basically. Because yeah. if he loses this, you have to, like... Yeah. What excuse do you have of still keeping the guy is if you open with Illinois, who just lost to UTSA... In fairness to the Roadrunners, they are a steadily improving Conference USA team. They had their first winning season since 2013 last year. I don't want to shit talk the Roadrunners who are in the process of building something there. But come on. But come on. <laughs> You're a Power 5 team against the Conference USA team that won six games in their last good season. And so now we're in a similar situation to that they were last week. Yeah. It's a must win. It's a and mu if we drop it, all of the feeble street cred we had which we really don't have any anymore no but any chance at six and six is gone if you don't win this one absolutely and like even though we did what we were supposed to do against fordham you know we that didn't save us from being the punchline because fordham nope. scored a touchdown yeah and that and plenty of people found that mighty funny if if you don't want to be the punchline again, you don't lose to Buffalo this week. I think you have to do to Buffalo something similar to what you did to Fordham. Yeah, to not be a punchline. Punch but I ain't worried about not being the punchline. No, We've I'm been a punchline for so long. I just, I just hope the jokes are jabs and not gut punchers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, in a just world with a loving God, we would be saying, let's get halfway to bowl eligibility this afternoon. Right now, oh, I God, think... that's a way to phrase it. <laughs> what? No, no, it's a good way to phrase it. It's just putting in contrast how, now we're only how bad the Illinois loss hurts. Yeah. Then we would be saying we have, what, nine more games? We got to win three of them? Yep. That feels surmountable. And 3-0 and oh, going into a part of the schedule that has some the mo more winnable games than the other part of the schedule. Granted, Michigan State does not look like a winnable game anymore. No. But Northwestern sure does. Yeah, which is weird. Also, overreactions. Overreactions. We will talk about those teams yes. when we get to those teams. But realistically, I think three wins from those nine is something you could have reasonably expected. If we win tomorrow, we need four. Yeah. If we lose tomorrow, we need five. We need to almost go 500 through the harder part of our schedule. Yeah. Wisconsin, eh, eh, but not beatable for us at this point. Iowa, holy shit. Dear God. And if they, win the, if they win the Cyhawk tomorrow, they're going to be un insufferable. Uh, call the game by its proper name, El Asico. <laughs> I like it. I do. 
Oh my god. It's so I crazy that also, that game matters now. <laughs> everyone in Iowa is so obsessed with Casey's that I think the Casey's Classic would be like... Yeah? Yeah, it is crazy to me that the Cyhawk matters. Yeah, that's a top 10 matchup. This used to be a punchline game. It's now a top 10 matchup. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. It, it's going to be a good game. It's a bummer we play at the same time. I yeah. would like to cheer on my adopted Cyclones. Yes. Um, <laughs> It doesn't matter to the Big Ten. No. Honestly, if Iowa loses, it doesn't matter to their playoff chances that much. No. Because if they beat Ohio State, which looks doable, doable, as very long doable as you can after score that Minnesota them, game, you can win because that defense is not as good as you would expect a no. defense from a football juggernaut no. like Ohio State to be. Which is crazy because we're going to look at shootout games against Ohio State this year. Mm -hmm. We have kind of transitioned into the around the world. Can I pick out specific games yes. I want to talk about? And, and then we'll kind of give final thoughts on Buffalo. Future opponents who looked shaky in week one. Oklahoma only won by five against Tulane. Yeah. It, it, Crazy. <laughs> now Tulane playing an emotional game yep. after their city, God bless New Orleans, mm -hmm. was, you know, hit again. But, and um, that's been a good program for the past few years. Willie Fritz, I, if you're a Power 5 team looking for a new coach, he's right there. I don't know yeah. how he hasn't been yanked yeah. away yet. So he's a great coach, great program. They very easily could have won that game, had a couple things gone the wrong way. And, like, if Oklahoma plays like that against us, they may only win by, like, 28 Right. An another scoreline from week zero worth mentioning is the 69-point win over Wagner by Buffalo. And did they play last week? Um, I don't think they did. Yeah. It was like after the week oh. zero games. It was Thursday before Saturday of week one. Okay. And uh, some fun facts about Wagner. They, going into that Buffalo game, had only won one game out of their last 15. So... <laughs> Yeah. Extrapolate as much from that as you will from our win against Fordham. Yes. But still, that shows that, you know, against a far inferior opponent, Buffalo still has a lot of talent. Right. Right. Um, so, games that I want to address. They don't really separate week one and week zero here, which they I find don't. frustrating. So I am just looking for September the 4th. That would have been last week, right? Yeah, Penn State, Wisconsin. Um, that was Big Ten football at its fine. Oh, wait, no, no, no. We should start Michigan State, Northwestern. Yes. Northwestern, what the hell? Like, that was, I, it wasn't even like a weird Northwestern y football game. It was just bad football. Uh, also worth mentioning, I feel like this was a hidden gem. I feel blessed to have watched the entire game. North Carolina, Virginia Tech was insane. If you look up the, um, What's the word I'm looking for? The seismograph readings from, uh, is it Blackburn or Blackstone? Blacksburg. Blacksburg. Blacksburg, Virginia, that night. Off the charts after they win the game and they play Inter-Sandman again. Yeah. Just insane, awesome atmosphere, really fun. Interesting for the ACC Coastal again. Because what the hell? That can be applied any year the ACC Coastal has ever been in existence. This is it true. is football's randomest division, and God, I love it. Uh, Michigan State looks like a competent football team this year. 
I'd go above competent and say good. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's week one, Northwestern. They look like they have a giant step down from last year. Yeah. But that rushing attack looks dangerous. Yeah. Mel Tucker's a good coach. They've got a lot of transfers on the roster who have made a good impact in week one. Kenneth Walker, the third, is the early front runner of the September Heisman if he keeps this up. But I think Michigan State might be a score with him, stay with him kind of team. Because that defense didn't do anything super special against a crappy Northwestern side. Yeah. Northwestern, right now, give them some time to figure their things out, obviously, yeah. but they look beatable, right? Mm-hmm. Like their quarterback <coughs> looked solid. The Clemson transfer, Hunter Johnson, looks, you know, sort of like a guy who could have played at Clemson. So, right. Penn but, State, Wisconsin. Yeah. We mentioned. Fun game uh, from the parts of it that I have Scoreless seen. at halftime. That was crazy. It was beautiful. Um, Wisconsin having three turnovers inside their own, inside Penn State's 10. Also beautiful. <sighs> yeah. Iowa putting the hurt on Indiana. I mean, they look good. I would pick them to win the Cyhawk. I don't want them to. I don't think anyone in this state. No. We're all kind of half Iowa State fans, especially now. But, um, man, they look good, and I think they're going to win the Cyhawk. Yeah. I think that they – I think there was some politics in the 9 and 10 there of, well, we put you higher before, but, my God, you don't look as good as – Whichever no. team wins this, presuming, because, okay, let's look at the AP ranking for a second. Yes, the AP ranking. And uh, Iowa State only won by, like, eight over Northern Iowa, an FCS team. Yep, I, that is my thing. If you're basing it on what did the performance last week look like now, Iowa State hasn't had a good opener in years. They're Northern kind of a Iowa slow start team. does this to teams. Yes, yes, we're too aware of that. Um... But, I mean, Notre Dame is eight. Cincinnati's seven. If Cincinnati looks bad in a game, they leave the top ten. But Cincinnati should be, like, four. They, they were the, one of the few uh, top ten teams I who just, actually lived up to their ranking on Saturday. Like, I, I, I don't get you, AP voters. Like, for, for me, preseason rankings should matter, should stop mattering the minute week one ends. As soon as week one ends, scrap them, do a re-rank of how they actually look. Sure, you can base things off of that, like in opinions. Like if the number one team looks the part, like Alabama did, you still rank them number one. I get that. But with a team like Oklahoma, who only wins by five over Tulane, Ohio State, who was in a dogfight with Minnesota most of the way, those teams did not take care of business the way we should have reasonably expected them to. So I don't see how you can continue saying, hey, I ranked this team right last week when they didn't prove up to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a team like Cincinnati handles their business, and you just keep them, like, the same? Like, you don't, you don't say, hey, these teams above didn't handle their business, Cincinnati did? Like, when the schedule gets tougher, then you can rank them ahead after quality wins and stuff, but right now, I don't get you, AP voters. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get you. I think you're wrong. I think that, like... Cincinnati is a fine football team that will do very well when they join the Big 12. And until then, we need to keep treating them like shit because teams of their caliber are meant to be treated like shit until they play in leagues that matter. I just, I, the Power Five are why I'm here. 
I understand that it's like reddity and fun and internet-y to pick these dark horses and be excited when they crack the top 10. <sighs> Here are a list of teams ranked beneath Cincinnati that I think could beat Cincinnati. Notre Dame, Iowa State, Iowa, Penn State, Oregon, Florida, USC. That's it. But the next seven? Tech, actually, no, UCLA, I think, could beat them because they can beat LSU, and I think LSU is probably a good enough school. Just like Did I trust them Notre more. Dame? Notre I Dame trust them bad. more. Notre Dame didn't look bad. Notre Dame played a really good-looking Florida State team. That was team. a four-win Florida State team a year ago. I know, but uh, don't it, you trust teams to turn it around? I think Virginia mm-hmm. Tech could give uh, Cincinnati a run for its money on the right day. On the right day, yeah, but that can be said of any ACC Coastal team on any day. Also, what the... And I'm sorry to the kids out here, because I am about to swear, but I am upset with this. What the actual fuck is North Carolina doing in my perfectly good top 25? I I understand it's week two. I understand it doesn't matter. But I swear to God this makes me angry. You just lost in close, not embarrassing, but close fashion to a team, though, that looked better than you throughout the game. Virginia Tech looked like they deserved to win that game. They did deserve to win that game, and they did go out and win that game, which means North Carolina lost to a mid-tier Power 5 school. You have to be a top-tier Power 5 school to make the top 25. There are numerous, numerous teams I think could beat this North Carolina side. I think they're going to finish 7-5, and 8-3, and three, somewhere there. Or 8-4. and four. Yeah. There are plenty of teams who just are 1-0 and oh, who you could rank. Like, that's another thing yeah. I hate about Week 2 uh, rankings. There shouldn't be more than one, maybe two 0-1 oh teams in these rankings. Here, here are teams that got votes that I think deserve that spot more than North Carolina. TCU. UCF. Heck yes. Michigan. Oklahoma State. Michigan State is not ranked after that loss against a good... And Michigan State are not ranked. Wow. Yeah. They handled their business and looked talented. Both of them did. And North Carolina did not. I mean, they looked talented, but they didn't handle their business. I think you should have to have a one in the first column... Wisconsin, still at 18. I think that's crazy. Yeah, I would not have Wisconsin ranked because that was a very winnable game they blew. And Same thing with North Carolina. I would not have Penn State at 11 because I don't think that Wisconsin team looked like they deserved to be a top 10 team. Yeah. Um, Th- this will all sort itself out in due time, but like right now the I rankings think there are, are some dumb. whoppers. I think there are yeah. some whoppers here. A&M at 5. They should be like two or three because they handled their business. I agree. I agree. Clemson's still at six. That is utterly ridiculous. I think that they, I mean, I don't want to move Cincinnati up, but I think that like Clemson, Clemson should did be not like look good on offense. 12. Yeah. Now, neither team looked awesome on offense. Yeah. Granted, it's kind of weird because like if you, if you claim that Georgia is two, which I would. Yeah. And I think if you play that game 10 times, both Clemson and Georgia get five of them. Those teams were very evenly matched. It, Georgia doesn't score a defensive touchdown. They lose that game to but Clemson. But so, I, I disagree with you. So I, so I get there where you rank Clemson based on that, but you're 0-1 in a game you should have won. You should be at like 12. 
yeah, I, I agree with you. I think ultimately Georgia doesn't score that defensive touchdown without Clemson's mistake. Mm-hmm. And Georgia looked like the better team throughout the game. I mean, a lot of it is feel here, right? Yeah. And I think what they're doing is they're getting a feel for like, oh, this is a program that's perennially good. And this is a program that like showed up in camp all summer because they're a big enough school that us national reporters, some of us all went to the camps, right? Because those are the people who end up being the swing votes. Yeah. I mean. Wait, wait. Before you continue with a good point you're making, Indiana had 37 votes. To be ranked? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is What the f***? What the actual f***? Indiana lost 34 to 6 to Iowa. And there were enough people who said- Maryland got six votes. Maryland looked impressive over West Virginia. No, they didn't. West Virginia looked so unimpressive that it was unimpressive to beat them. Maryland took care of business in a game they should have, but not in an impressive fashion. They had like two 60-yard touchdowns. They outgained West Virginia by a lot. See, I'm Miami shouldn't be ranked. These not, ACC teams that don't have we, there is one team in the ACC worth taking seriously this year, and it's Clemson. And I think the only question about Clemson is if you, because Clemson could very easily lose another game to yes. one of these other good ACC teams. Yes. I mean, Miami, I think, could beat them. Possibly. They looked fine against just an Alabama team that outclassed them. Yeah. Right? But let's look at Clemson's schedule, because I think they're interesting. Yeah. And I know we're just jumping around like madmen today, but that is how I feel after... Week one. Week one. Which is, like, when college football mania is at its highest before the playoff conversation really takes over the season. This is this is just, I love this part of the yeah, season. Yeah, this is so much fun. We can just talk about anything and everything. Because the games just don't make sense. Yeah. So right now, looking at Clemson's schedule, they avoid Miami in the regular season. Do they really? They avoid North Carolina. They avoid wow. Virginia Tech. Wow. They, they do they have. Play? They do go on the road at Pitt, and Pitt's super weapon occasionally flicks at the at the randomest times, and knocks off a Clemson. They've done it before. I Yeah, but I just, I, okay. This year, it's hard to pinpoint any specific year they'll do it, but, like, once every five years, Pitt beats Clemson. Okay. That's Who else do they play? They have Florida State at home. So uh, that's a game I think they could lose. Florida it, State looks really good. With Mackenzie Milton. He's it, wrap him in the bubble realist wrap. deal. Because he's a generational talent at yeah. quarterback. Oh, totally agree. He made Scott Frost look like a competent coach. That's holy fuck. <laughs> holy <laughs> I think is. I really do worry because we record this at the University of Nebraska Lincoln <laughs> that sometime a bunch of like athletic department goons are going to show up and drag us off to the dungeon <laughs> under the stadium for saying some of the things we do. But. That's the truest thing that may have ever been said on this podcast. So yeah. who we got? Okay. Oh my god! Is Boston the ACC fine? Is the opener? ACC a power conference? South Carolina State, Georgia Tech, North Carolina State, Boston College, Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Florida State, a Louisville team that looks crap. Their offense is one of the worst I've seen from them in a while. Scott Satterfield is doing nothing. Connecticut, Wake Forest and South Carolina? Connecticut's having a fun one this year. 
Not only did they lose by 10 to Holy Cross, a team that is worse than Fordham and plays in the same conference as Fordham, uh, their coach announced after the game, hey, I'll be resigning at the end of the year. Can't do this no more. And then the next day, he's like, ah, fuck it, I'll resign now. So this they still have to play an entire year. This is just a pathetic scandal. Including a game against Clemson. So, yeah, this is a pitiful schedule. Like, if they run the table here, that's not a playoff resume. Depending on what else happens in college football, this is not the resume of a playoff team. Like, honest to God, let me pull up something real quick. I agree with you. I think that this is a this is a pathetic schedule. I mean... <sighs> oh, that doesn't look good. Oklahoma. Okay. If Cincinnati runs the table, here are some games they have to play. Indiana. Nah. Notre Dame. Okay, okay. This means they won't win the, run the table. Navy, who's pretty solid most years. Like, if Cincinnati runs the table, they have a better case than Clemson does right now. I agree, but I think that the even better case is... Notre Dame. Well, okay, Notre Dame. Yeah. If they have a good year. Yep. I mean, I'll give Notre Dame... I'll spot them one loss. Like, a quality loss. I mean, mm-hmm. who's on Notre Dame's schedule? But, like, if you look at Clemson, if the, even if they run the table... No. Like, they will have to face a coastal team in the championship game, and you know how that division is. That winner is going to be 8-4. and four. So, if Clemson wins out, they would need a two-loss conference champ to get into the playoffs. I would absolutely take both Alabama and Georgia over them if, they're, if those two teams' only loss is to each other. Mm-hmm. So I think Clemson, they absolutely cannot afford another loss, but they can't afford to not dominate every game. I agree with you. I think you can't look close. I mean, they have to beat whoever wins the Coastal, too. Yeah. Because a two-loss team with a loss in the conference championship, that's not playoff worthy, and their opponent isn't either, which means they don't have... I mean, maybe if, like... Virginia Tech goes undefeated and, and beats Clemson, then the ACC gets a playoff spot. Yeah. But <coughs> North Carolina lost a game they should have won. Yep. Miami looked pitiful against Alabama. Now, I think they're still a good team, but Bama, Bama's yeah. going to do that to everybody. But it's already <laughs> been proven that Bama will do it to you, and that means you don't belong in the playoff. In my mind, any real playoff hope for Miami – got killed yesterday. Yeah. Um, here's who Notre Dame has to play. So they already beat a good Florida State team. We'll see, but... I, dude, they look good. If Milton is healthy, they'll be good. So, Purdue. Oh, big dub. Wisconsin. We don't know what they look like yet. Cincinnati, Virginia Tech. Wait, where is the Cincinnati game? So we have a, At Notre Dame. Ah, frick. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Uh, Virginia Tech, a good Virginia Tech team yes. that just beat North Carolina. USC. Pretty good. North Carolina. Navy. Can Virginia. Navy's dangerous. Georgia Tech. The, the week after Navy's dangerous, too, because you spend a whole week learning a offense that's different than anything else you'll ever face. Yeah. So. And then you got to snap back to go play Virginia. Yeah. Who admittedly don't look good. But, but it, hey. <laughs> Georgia Tech and then Stanford. Stanford's not very good. No, Stanford's not very good. But 
Let's compare the... <laughs> Notre Dame plays a harder ACC schedule. Than Clemson. Than Clemson does. Yeah. <laughs> Can we crown Notre Dame ACC champions this year? The conference will have to do it because you don't want <laughs> that Clemson team with that schedule as your champion. No, Notre Dame is going to be the ACC champion. Well, so this is what drives me crazy about being an independent. Because if Notre Dame was just in the other half of the ACC instead of having this weird deal, they'd go play Clemson. And they'd go Trout's Clemson. Right? Maybe. I don't we'll see, know. We'll, I see, mean, we'll, we'll see if Clemson does end up gelling. But they didn't look like they gelled week one. No. Uh, I just, that DJ Uyagalale nailed it. Uh, did not really pick up where he left off after last season. But it's, it's mutually beneficial because if Clemson has that win over Notre Dame in a conference championship, yeah. we know they've beaten a really good team from a prestigious football tradition. And Notre Dame winning that, that's the validation that they might need at the end of the year. Yeah. Now, I don't think they'll need it. No. I think if they can convincingly win, I mean, who can they lose to here? Like, S- Cincinnati, which helps Cincinnati's playoff yes. resume a lot. Oh, God, you do not want to be around me if Cincinnati wins that game. No, I <laughs> promise you we won't record the next week. <laughs> We might take a week after October 2nd hiatus. <laughs> I will. Oh, gosh. I'm going to be the biggest Bearcat fan in the damn world. If, if you made me bet, I think Notre Dame will go undefeated. Eh, probably. Because no one on this schedule looks good enough to beat them. But, again, I, I, I'm more skeptical of Florida State than you are, and I've seen Notre Dame's defense... Like, their secondary is pretty good, but I don't know. They, they do allow a lot of big plays. That was a very losable game against Florida State that Notre Dame tried to give away at the end. A which, little bit, yeah. Which is a quality I don't like to see. That's fair. And I think that there are teams that if they play like that against who will take better advantage of it I, than Florida State. Yeah, I think Notre Dame tends to improve over the course of a season. They always have a way to make their playoff case towards the end, I think. Mm-hmm. Unless they've lost two. Um, God, this is going to be a weird playoff. The, the like evil, horrible, awful thing we're not talking about is, oh God. Okay. Hear me out. This is doomsday scenario. Let's say Ohio state goes back to their old ways. They drop a random game like they could have done against Minnesota. Possibly to Nebraska. Nebraska. Sure. That'd let's, be nice. Let's, 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 let's fantasize because this is fantasy land. Uh, Ohio state a solid otherwise, but it's an inexplicable 30-point loss to Nebraska. That ain't getting them in the playoff. You've got Clemson. It's explicable. It's Husker magic, Justin. Yes, because we just believed that damn hard. So, <laughs> so we beat Ohio State by 30. And uh, Clemson has no impressive wins. Notre Dame drops a game they shouldn't have. So no real impressive wins on their schedule. Cincinnati runs the table, but lol, it's Cincinnati. Ain't doing nothing. The Pac-12 cannibalizes itself again. Or Cincinnati drops to Notre Dame. Or Cincinnati drops to Notre Dame, sure. And Notre Dame still drops an embarrassing game. So that maybe still has Notre Dame in it. The Big 12, Mm. um, Oklahoma continues to look shaky, doesn't do anything. Iowa State loses to Cyhawk, can't get back on its feet. You have a two-loss champion. And you have an SEC where Texas A&M's only losses to Alabama and Georgia's only losses to Alabama, who is undefeated. They could get three teams or, in. Or Georgia and Alabama, Georgia loses to no one, and Alabama loses to Georgia. 
Yep. I and think this Georgia team is the only team that can stop Alabama this year. Yes. And do they have to play each other in the regular season? No. Okay. They will meet in the SEC championship game. Both of those teams will likely get in the playoff. Can we buy tickets to that game? <laughs> no, no, no. I love this because yes. it's meaningless. Because yes. they'll probably play again. I mean, I think, honest to God, Georgia and Alabama are going to be the best two college football teams in the country this year. Yeah. Which means they either split into the playoff against each other or more likely they play their conference championship. They go and they trounce two other non-SEC teams because I think Oklahoma gets in. Or I, I don't think Oklahoma gets in. I think if they drop like a big game, mm-hmm. we all say, look, that Tulane loss was scary. A Tulane, yeah, scare was scary. They did win I that game. A&M is going to be A&M's going to be really good. There's a real chance, like I said, that their only regular season loss is to Alabama. And if they can keep that somewhat close, it's going to be very hard not to justify having them top four until the playoff week rolls around. I think Ohio I think whoever wins the Big Ten makes it in. Yeah. I think this conference, you've got to do it. Yeah. It's one of those reasons that the playoff was created so that we could see these conferences all square off against each other. So it'd be like Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Bama, if we had a week one prognosticate? I If I have to actually prognosticate, it's <laughs> like Alabama how, one. I like how we just said that week one's fun because it's not all playoff talk and we're doing playoff talk. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm saying if you if you ma- held a gun to my head and made me, yeah, Alabama versus Oklahoma, Georgia versus Ohio State, which I recognize is what the standings look like now. Yeah. But I think those top four are pretty good. But this Oklahoma team does not look good, and this Ohio State team does not look good. What do you do in a world in which you have two one-loss SEC teams, one being the loser of the conference championship yep. to Alabama, A&M being only loses to Bama? Yep. Right, because they're on Bama's side of the conference. They're on Bama's side of the conference, yes. So you have A&M, Georgia, and Bama in. Because I would rather see A&M play Bama again than watch a bad Oklahoma team do it, than watch a bad Clemson team do it, than watch a bad Cincinnati, or not bad, but like a, a good for Cincinnati, but an eh team do it. Notre Dame, if they lose one game yeah. every year, this is how being an independent screws you. Sure, you know you have a path every year, but it means going undefeated which is not that different than anybody's path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... <sighs> Iowa... The winner of the Cy-Hawk game is going to maybe have a shot to run the table. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> when and was the last Iowa. time anyone said that about Elastico? Never. Never. <laughs> I think I think it's going to be Iowa. I yeah. don't think it's going to be close. I think what I think people like the Iowa hype train is going to get insufferable next week if they win that game by two scores or more. I think we get the same game we always get from those two teams. It's going to be 17-15. Really? Yeah. It, this is El Asico. These two teams were good the last time they played in 2019. And that game between two solid programs at the time was decided because <laughs> I was... <laughs> Iowa State guy ran into his own punt returner. 
That's right. That's true. I remember that now. Yeah, this this is like Nebraska Northwestern. This is the only college football game that is legally required by law to happen. So this <laughs> is so weird. And I love that it matters. And I hope Iowa loses so, so badly. Yep. Because as you mentioned, I, I don't want to go through 2015 again or have to talk to my kids about an undefeated Iowa. <laughs> yep, that would be miserable. That would be miserable. Um, what else do we need to do today? Five quick minutes on barrels over. Ooh, should we mention the conference and then do five quick minutes over barrels? The conference. Oh, conference realignment. Yes, conference realignment, baby. Let's go. Yes, because as just announced today, um, well, first backtrack. I don't think we ever explicitly talked about this over the summer. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma announced they will be jumping ship from the Big 12 for the SEC. We talked about this. We did? We gave it at least a note. Okay. So, yeah, that's happening. It's weird. It sort of messes with traditional fabric of rivalries and regionality. Oh, it ruins them. It ruins them. It ruins them. College football is so enjoyable. And the common theme after that was this is just going to kill the Big 12. These teams are just going to have to, you know, launch themselves to other other conferences. We may only see four conferences with 16 teams in them. But then again, who gets picked, who gets left out? And the Big 12 always had something they could try in their back pocket, just add random teams to salvage it. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. And it makes me really happy because the four teams they picked, I'm really stoked for all of them. Sands maybe BYU. But uh, <laughs> here we go. The four teams who will be joining the Big 12 in 2023. And remind you, Oklahoma and Texas are slated to leave in 2025. Granted, they can do some legal mumbo-jumbo and get out of that. But as it stands right now, there will be two years where all these teams are in the conference with OU and Texas. BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Cincinnati, they got really screwed when the Big East uh, got dumped from football because that was seen as a Power 5 conference. And then they just could not find a home in a Power 5 despite being in a major media market. They, no, no conference wanted them, so they just got stuck in the American. Houston is the same way. They, you know, they're in Texas. They have, in a big city, this just makes sense as a Power 5 team. This makes Houston. sense as a Big 12 team. It, it makes sense as a Big 12 a team. Time ago. Yeah, they were... I when think, you make TCU a Big 12 team yes. and you don't make Houston a Big 12 team, mm -hmm. I kind of hate how the Big 12, like, willed TCU into relevance. Oh, no, TCU was balling. Like, you could not, they yeah, made the Rose Bowl. Yeah, but I hate TCU. <laughs> I just hate them. They made the Rose Bowl? Yeah. How does TCU play in the Rose Bowl? Uh, I want to say that Oregon had made the national championship game. Oh. Uh, also, what to watch for this week. Oregon-Ohio State. State. Yeah. If Ohio State loses that game. I completely forgot about that game. Yeah. Oregon looked Shake it against Fresno, but still, it's winnable because they can absolutely score with Ohio State if Minnesota can. Oh, yeah, can. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so TCU was on the map before the Big 12. The Big 12 just gave them legitimacy, similar to what they're doing with these teams they're adding. Uh, I See, I, UC, some of these teams, I like the legitimacy. Cincinnati, I have beef with because you like them so much. UCF being annoying works. God, I hope they made it. All you haters who told them just join a real conference. 
Well, guess what we did. Guess what they finally did. It's not really a real conference anymore. UCF has made it to the big boys. And then there's BYU, who by their own violation has not been in a Power 5 school because they're trying, they tried to be independent. But, you know, has a team good enough to be in the Power 5? So on those grounds, I'm kind of like, hey, you don't get to complain because you chose independence. And I sort of feel bad for Memphis, who checks all the boxes Cincinnati did, just weren't selected. I think um, my my kind of interest in BYU stems from the fact that lots of people just kind of thought they were irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to find a lot more people that don't like them. Like BYU is going to become, I think, a hated school in college football because they're going to come to your town in the non-conference weeks. They're going to beat you or play you closer than you want. They've got a rabid fan base that's really annoying. And for reasons we don't need to get into, they have some social views that a lot of people might not like on that campus. Uh, and I think that that is a recipe for fuck you city, you know? And a lot of people... And I think it's interesting to think about that in terms of wanting or not wanting those guys in your conference because mm-hmm. on one hand, everyone loves the team that everyone gets to hate. Yeah. Um, I think in the Big Ten, that's becoming Wisconsin. Mm. Just like no one wants to see them on the schedule against them. Everyone's like, ugh. They're going to be stupid, good, and so annoying. And it's not going to be a fun game to watch. No, Unless you're a sicko. Yeah. Which I am. You are a sicko. I thoroughly enjoyed large portions of Penn State, Wisconsin, particularly the first half. <laughs> I you verbally want- cheered when they got a field goal block to remain scoreless. I was so happy. Were you watching this in the press box? Yes. You know your job is to watch the game that's like happening on the field that you're at. Yes. Okay, good. I'm just <laughs> glad we're on the same page then, bud. <laughs> There's a lot of downtime in football. Dude. Can we, here's Nick's rant of the week. That's a new segment. That's not really new. It's just anytime Nick's mad. (sighs) I recognize that I live in a late stage capitalist society and I recognize that there are both good and bad things that come along with that. One good thing means that I can watch 13 consecutive hours of college football on a weekend as I did last week, both in person and at home. The downside is that this is fueled not only by my cable subscription and not only by my, or my like half cable streaming Fubo TV subscription, and not only by my ticket purchase, but it is mostly fueled by ads at the stadium for Case IH and Pepsi, and mostly fueled at home by one ad in particular I know (laughs) yes if you have watched any college football it is that ad you're thinking of because I know what ad you're thinking of please drop the unholy hammer of God (laughs) now I'm really concerned that this is not the same ad it has to be can I get like a hand motion that you understand what ad this is 
Um, just because I think there are some candidates, and there's more than one that I want to talk about. I don't know how to hand motion this. I'm just gonna say, just please, uh, have the <laughs> drop the unholy hammer of God onto this string of chain restaurants. Applebee's. There it is. I like you, Applebee's. I really do. I'm an Applebee's apologist. I'm an apologist. And at the end of the day, I go there more than I care to admit after 9 p.m. because PBR is incredibly cheap there. And the, like, combo platter for two people for, like, seven bucks after 9 p.m., that's a pretty damn good deal. I go to one of the shittier Applebee's in the world because it is closer to my side of town. If you have not been to the O Street Applebee's at Gateway Mall, good, good. Because you will recognize that this is an affordable way to spend a couple hours with your friends and also every time it will eat a little bit of your soul. But not as much of your soul. And I don't want to like reference the specific ad. Because it makes me so angry. So if you want to talk people who are living under a rock through this Applebee's ad, go ahead. Do I do this now? Yes. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can't. I, I don't know why you would bring that evil into our podcast. But if you yeah. feel the need to. I do have my own thoughts about, like, because this ad the first time I saw it. Oh, God. It irked me. Because this is what the ad is, folks. It's clips of TikToks. Uh, TikTok, it's the app. So it's clips of people dancing to the song Fancy Like by Walker Hayes, which is a tremendous hit on the platform that has since spread outside of it and become a legitimate popular song in the nation. The song How is... How crazy is it that songs can do that now? We're yes. getting like drive time dad radio, but I'm going to like hike up my britches just to say that I think it is insane that like a TikTok sound... Like, did you know that How Bizarre charted... Because it was like in here? I don't think it was like the overall chart. I think it was okay. just the pop chart. Yeah. But like it recharted by Fleetwood Mac did re-enter the top twenty. That's insane. Yeah. Because of a like dude on a skateboard with some ocean spray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think TikTok has done great things for the music industry. Cause like it's brought back the one hit wonder. That's Cause, true. Cause there tell me, America. If you're ever going to hear the name Arizona Zervis again. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. You will not. I, I can name more, but like, he's the first TikTok one hit What wonder. was their song? Roxanne. Roxanne. All she want to do is party on. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> you've never heard of him before. You'll never hear of him since. But he had a hit song at one point in time. Apple Anyways. Apples. Yeah. This guy's song is one of the many country songs, which is just a list of things that middle America is familiar with. And uh, <laughs> this particular song is about Applebee's date nights and uh, all the food you can get at that and how that to him is what fancy is. And it is delivered in the most obnoxious way over a beat that is quasi-country at best. It's like <laughs> if Lil John made a Kenny Chesney song. <laughs> 
one of my favorite things, now we're just straight up talking about TikTok culture, but yeah. one of my favorite things about TikTok culture is like the open subversion of the country mainstream that you see happening on there. And maybe this is just my corner of TikTok, but it'll be like, because like you see these like, these people who've got these like big American flags and the cowboy mm-hmm. hats and they turn around. It's like, we do things a little different around here. <laughs> um, and then you'll see some like, weirdo like anime kid <laughs> holding the flag of the fire nation to we stand for the flag and if you don't like it we don't care and i'm just like dude i don't like anyone involved in this but i like that this happened like that <laughs> makes me really happy <laughs> tiktok is like somehow like giving us our last monoculture where it's like we all kind of get the joke because the jokes are repeatable and distributable to all of our weird different worlds. And I I really do like that. But we're getting too deep for a football podcast. Applebee's, whoever is doing your ad buys needs to go to fucking rehab because the amount of coke that they're doing could kill a stable of horses. Stop. Buying advertisements. There is such a thing as overexposure. I am so mad about this that I am looking and making sure that I am peeking right now so that you understand me. Ladies, gentlemen, all six to eight of you that listen to the podcast, get this to Applebee's advertising immediately if you know them. I beg you, stop buying time and maybe like reallocate some of that into developing things that are not the quesadilla burger, that are not just different combinations of too much garlic on shake, chicken, and shrimp with, like, one sad caramelized onion. Seriously, like, you are the butt of the joke. You are the fucking joke. No one, like, openly, like, like, (sighs) one time I went to New York on a choir trip. And a kid that shall remain nameless um, recommended, a a child that remained nameless recommended to my chaperone who was currently on Yelp in New York, like looking, because he was a bit of a foodie, like looking for a place for the five of us to go eat. We ended up in this great pizza joint. It was awesome. But uh, we're like Times Square and nameless sees just like a massive Applebee's and his eyes get wide and he points at like the world's biggest Applebee's and he's like, I want to go there. And we all just ruined his life for the rest of the day over that comment. (laughs) No one, like Applebee's is literally a restaurant that sells itself on can't afford or decide to go anywhere else, pick us. I don't understand. You can get two things for $20. And like all the people who go to Applebee's already know about Applebee's. What part of your market share? Like, I understand that I'm not an ad PR student. We could have one in as a guest. Here's my other ad that I'm so mad about. But like Applebee's, you know, marketing, how cool it is to go to Applebee's. It's not. It's not. Like, the song itself, it's, I know it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, but it plays it remarkably straight. It's, (laughs) it, 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 I genuinely believe he's like, Girl, we're so fancy. Like, Which, like, like, like that's if that's your thing, Applebee's is your date night, cool. I don't want to shame nobody for something like that. No, no, no. Especially but, because it is a slightly more affordable date night than a lot of places. I have yeah. been on date nights to Applebee's. They yeah. are fine and they're affordable. But 
Why are you trying to sell us on a thing we all already do but don't like about ourselves? Yeah, it's... I, I get, you know, that the glitz and glamour of a lot of mainstream music videos and stuff is unattainable for the average American. But that's what makes it entertaining. <laughs> I don't want to hear about something I do in music. So, one example of, like, ads I actually really like... Is this the ad you're going to mention? No, this is a different ad. Okay. I'm mad about a different ad. One example of ads that I really, really like right now are McDonald's ads. Here's an affordable sandwich from a Scotsman. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba! Like, that is all I need to be like, I remember McDonald's exists, and I might go there. I, I have McDonald's promo story. Okay, so... McDonald's has been rolling out these celebrity meals for a while now, and oh, I find those it hilarious. Suck. Those are so dumb. It's so dumb. Like, but the first time it happened was Travis Scott. He's a, a rapper yeah, who the Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack. So he tell him Cactus Jack. Tell him Cactus Jack. Sent you. So he dropped a thing called the Travis Scott Burger at McDonald's, which, which was just a funky Big Mac. Yeah, it was just a quarter pounder, but bacon. And it didn't have the Big Mac sauce. No, no. It was just a quarter pounder with bacon. That's not. That's just a bacon cheeseburger. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, oh, no, it had, like, barbecue sauce, didn't it? The fries came with barbecue sauce. Oh, yeah, I so, see. So McDonald's has this series of meals that are just stuff on their menu, just in a package together you can order by going up to a McDonald's and saying, I'll have the Travis Scott burger, which is something I did just because that was the thing I could do. I could have an experience shared between two human beings that featured the sentence, I'll have the Travis Scott burger, and have them understand and give me a thing, a little burger case that on the receipt says, the Travis Scott. And uh, I still have that in my room because I think it's so funny that that's a thing I could have purchased. That's going to be worth money someday, and I hate it. Yes. But like someday they'll oh, move it, on from this. And, and later, they released this with several other celebrities like BTS, J Balvin, and uh, the recent one was the rapper Saweetie. And I thought that's another funny thing I could say. I'll have the Sweetie meal. Because so, it sounds like, like, a, like, like a cartoon version of McDonald's. Yes. Like a Happy Meal, but it's a Sweetie meal. It's a Sweetie meal. So I went into the drive-thru and I said, I'll have the Sweetie meal. And the person had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> And I was not about to explain the concept of the Sweetie Meal. So I just said, give me a Big Mac and drove. <laughs> I would have just left. I would have been so ashamed. Oh, my God. Yeah, the awkward um, silence after the phrase, I'll have the Sweetie Meal. But continue I, your point. No, okay. Another group of people who needs to can cool it with the ad buys. Taco Bell. Oh, the chicken. The chicken yeah. sandwich taco. No one thinks this is a sandwich. Yeah. No one thinks this is a taco. This is a taco. No one's asking themselves what this is. We all know what a chicken sandwich looks like. Yeah. We all know what a taco looks like. It appears to us that you, the taco people, that might be a fucking hint, kids. Write that down in your notes. <laughs> it appears to me... And to America, that the taco people have made a taco inspired by chicken sandwiches because they're trying to cash in on this contrived chicken sandwich war that we've talked about on the yes. podcast in the past. It was fun. It was fun when Popeyes came out with a really, really great chicken sandwich yes, that I still think is the best. Oh, by, we by got far. Popeyes, KFC, Chick fil A. 
the hot and spicy McChicken. Uh, mm, Wendy's. Mm, mm, mm. Wendy's goes above the McChicken for me. I have a love for McChickens. So. Okay. Uh, Wendy's Culver's. Culver's oh. is not bad. Culver's is not bad. And then I might be forgetting a couple ones here, but who cares if you forgot them? They were important anyway. And then there's Burger King way down here. No, Burger King is nasty. That sucked. It's just everything from Burger King is bad. Now, interestingly, Lincoln, Nebraska has particularly bad Burger King. Yes. Because of the franchisees who own it. It's like a whole thing. Like mm-hmm. this part of the Midwest has worse Burger King than other places. Um, people, I think you might be forgetting Slim Chickens. Has an okay chicken sandwich. Um, and then there's the worst chicken sandwich in the world. Because it should be disqualified. Is it the Taco Bell one? No. I haven't had that yet. That's the second worst. Because, uh. well, I mean, it should be disqualified because of the taco. Yes. The other DQ is Raising Cane's. Oh. That is not a chicken sandwich. That is a different configuration of all your other meals. Yes. Which are all the same thing. Yep. You don't have a menu. You have quantity. I saw saw this tweet that was like, how do you... I, I get so mad when I'm behind someone at Raising Cane's. They're taking time to order. Bro, they have one thing. Yeah, that is so fair. <laughs> what are you deciding between three or four tenders and how bad you want the coleslaw? Yeah. Because if you're getting the Caniac, you're drunk and you know that you're getting the Caniac. <laughs> Here's... This is the move at Raising Cane's. Okay. You get you get the caniac, extra Texas toast. You make a Sammy. See, this is what they did for you with the chicken sandwich meal. <laughs> it's not even good. No, it's a mediocre chicken sandwich. I'd much rather enjoy all these pieces separately, which is not something that can be said about any other chicken sandwich. Yeah, it's supposed to be greater than the parts of its whole. You know what really hurts raising canes? They don't have pickles. Yeah. They don't have pickles. Now, Slim Chickens actually makes you a patty for the chicken sandwich. They can deign to do that for you. Have more than one cut of chicken. Um, and second, they put pickles on it. Yeah. So Slim Chickens makes the list, although it's low. Chick-fil-A I don't like very much. I find Chick-fil-A to be dry. Mm. I would That's why you got to just dunk it in sauce, because Chick-fil-A has the best sauce options out true. of anybody. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <coughs> Slim chicken sauce, also very good. But um, we've gotten a little beyond the pale. But yes. But what I want to say, the, the actual point I'm driving at here, <laughs> all of the like bullshit comedy, is just like, <sighs> there's a lot of people who will go on the internet and write, is college football dead? And after 13 hours of watching it, yes. The action on the field is good. That's fun. But anything that makes college football special or different from the NFL or worthwhile is all just to serve problematic institutions. And I'm sorry, I had a visual gag for my co-host. And really, 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 at the end of the day, it's just to give them eyeballs for ad spots. Really expensive cable ad spots because these are some of the only things you watch on cable anymore or ESPN+. Plus. Mm-hmm. It's like, <sighs> this is a professional league. 
And it has been for a long time. It's just been an inequitable one. And that's why I think that every time that that Applebee's ad or that Taco Bell ad runs for the rest of the year, reparations should be paid to college athletes for having their names attached to this thing. I want to see a Players Association for better advertisements. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, college football as a whole as a product has been borderline impossible to just watch one game with unless you're really into whatever that game is like for casual viewing you have to have like three games going at once or else else it's just going to be commercials yeah or you have to you have to have three games going at once or you have to be doing something else while you're watching college football or you have to like be with friends at a party like or you have to be zoned out drunk that's an option but um, I'm I'm team three games at once. I I have not been able to watch a singular college football I, game. I typically do two. Yeah. I do Twitter on my laptop and game on my laptop. And <laughs> yeah, can you imagine how boring it would be to just sit in a room and watch one not very good college football game start to finish? There are droves of people who do that in Nebraska every week. I it's just, just like why all of. Like, going to the stadium is why I watch a whole Husker football game start yeah. to finish. If I'm at a party, I get why we're only leaving that game on because we don't want to miss anything in that game. Mm-hmm. But if I was just, like, alone for a Saturday, just, like, hanging out by myself, never in a million years would I only watch all of the Nebraska game. I would flip it around a lot. Yeah. To the, If I could, and maybe I will tomorrow in the stadium, I'm going to pull up the Cyhawk during TV yeah. timeouts. Which is, here's my big concern, is that eventually they're going to synergize the schedule like they do in soccer so that everything's happening at once, so that all the halftimes happen at once if they're playing simultaneous games, so that you can't go do something else. What I think would be ideal (laughs) is if they did the soccer thing where it's like, we're going to have longer halftimes, but but just commercials and no interruptions. Because college football halftime is fun. Yes. it's College football is emotionally intense. Sometimes you need a little time to chill out. If yeah. you stagger the games at home, then you can just track what's at halftime and what's not. And at the stadium, everyone needs more time for halftime. Yeah. Half of us don't make it back until halfway through the third quarter. Yes. You it's, need time to get the concessions. There are people who care about the band, and the band takes up more than half of the halftime. Those people are wrong, by the way. I, I care about the band. Shout out, band. Shout out, Martin. You're, you're killing them out there, kid. But I, I care about our friends in the band. I yeah. just don't care about the band generally. But how was the show? I didn't watch it this weekend. I was getting a runza with some family. It was pretty good. They had like an alumni band. Couldn't really hear uh, much from up in the press box. but Fair enough. How do you like the press box? Tell us what that's like. Because yes. I've been up there once, but never on a game day. It's pretty cool. Like yeah. you, it's a good view of the field, but it is you know very isolated from everything else around it. Like I feel, I feel like that helps me though, because I've always been able to put the media hat on pretty well when I'm covering Husker game mm-hmm. versus the fan mode. Like w- when I get in the zone, I get in the zone. Mm-hmm. But this just makes it very easier because you don't really hear the crowd as much. Like the soundproofing and that thing's very good, and yeah. I like being up that high because you can see everything. You can watch the play develop. You can watch the play develop. You can see you have a perfect view of all 11 players on both sides every single play. So now I totally get my coaches to hand up there. 
because <laughs> you can see what happens. Like, I can just, as soon as they line up, know who every player on the field is, and that is crazy. You can't really get that in most places in the stadium. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, weather's always nice up there. <laughs> that must be great. Yeah. I'm sure I'll grow to appreciate that more as the season goes on. But Yeah. Um, so tell us about, like, can you get food up there or do you, does nobody eat up there? There, some people got food up there. I'm not sure where they attained it from. Okay. There was free popcorn though. That's and, rad. And, and water. So that's all I had for lunch. That's rad. Dude, no, go for it. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there were people who had like sandwiches. I didn't have the heart to, to walk up to them and ask, yo, where you get that? Cause you know, I, it. It's my first time there. Yeah, I, yeah, I, sure. I, I, about, I figure there's a reason they have a sandwich and I don't. So how many DN people get to sit in the booth? Uh, four, actually. They give us four spots. Really? We, we only great. thought they were, they'd give us three. So, like, Jason just didn't go because he didn't think he had a spot for him. But he did. That's great. Yeah. We actually, we have a reporter credentialed uh, for news this week to cover the tribute stuff. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, it was not that hard to get a credential, honestly. Yeah. But, um... Unless you're Zeke. Or Zeke. Um, Regardless, congratulations on that. And I just wanted to mention it on the pod so that people knew you were doing at the game, in the press box coverage. Yeah. um, For all of our home games this year. Yes. Is there anything else to say? No. (laughs) Or we have to shove this. All right. No, we have to do it now. Yeah, if if we're not doing it this week, we'll never get to this thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Siri, set a timer for three minutes. Oh, gosh. Okay. Go. So, we play Buffalo this week. Buffalo has this waterfall nearby called Niagara Falls. You've heard that nearby. It's adjacent to an area that is somewhat near Buffalo. So, uh, Niagara Falls. A while ago in my youth, I read this fact that uh, a school teacher was the first person to go down Niagara Falls in a barrel. Uh, And I always thought that was weird. So I did some research and fell down a Google rabbit hole about it that I've always wanted as a segment on this podcast. Now we have an excuse to do it. And I'm going to speed run this because there are some wild stories here that aren't really that wild to justify a long segment. So Annie Edson Taylor, the first person to, to go down Niagara Falls in a barrel, she was a school teacher, had a comfortable living, but just, you know, could not cut it with the money from a school teacher. And so to support herself financially, she had she read about this waterfall and was like, I've got an idea. So she went down to Buffalo, drummed up some publicity, said, hey, y'alls, I'm going to put myself in this barrel and go down it. And they're like, cool. And then... <laughs> I have a question. Yes. I have a question. I'm going to pause the timer because you've intrigued me enough to ask a question. Yes. So I think we're just going to, we're just going to have this be a normal block now. Um, but did she had it? No one had done this before at this waterfall. Had no. other people gone over other waterfalls and barrels? Um, I, I know there is. I want to know if she thought this might be certain death. Uh, well, she sent a cat down first in the barrel, and the cat lived, so... Okay, okay, that makes sense. Before she starts drumming up the publicity. Yes. History. I know... Where is the timeline? Oh, yeah. So, it's, this was in 1901. Yeah, the first, you know, barrel ride over Niagara Falls. It wasn't the first person to go over Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah. How'd uh, they do? Joseph Avery and two unnamed members of his crew 
had been working on a sco, which is a boat, and drinking and fell over, and they all died. Makes sense. But yeah. those, so those were the first three. Yeah, those are the first three just to do it. And so <laughs> Edson Taylor. But not in a barrel. Yeah, not in a barrel. Edson Taylor's like, you can make money out of this. And she needs money for whatever reason. This is like, yo, this is the idea. And <laughs> several days delayed in the launching of Barrel because no one wanted to be part of potential suicide. But the cat lived, so... Uh, Wait, so no one showed up to watch? People showed up, but it wasn't, like, the huge crowd she wanted. Okay. So, so she didn't make it as much money as she thought. No, yeah, she went down the relatively uninjured, besides a small gash on her head. This was uh, on her... Guess how old she was when she did this? I feel like you would not do this... As a young person, I feel like this is an old, sad act of desperation. I'm going to say she was 50-something. 64. Holy fuck. Yep. Okay. So she does the damn thing. <laughs> After the journey, she tells the press, I would sooner walk up to the mouth of a cannon, knowing it was going to blow me to pieces than make another trip over the falls. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Honesty. Yes. And then what? Uh, turns out that's not a viable business career. No. To t you can't really milk that for that much money. No. Her promoter ran off with the barrel and sold it to a museum. So she can't even make money off of the damn barrel she was in. Oh, my God. So she briefly did some, like, talks about it. But no. The <laughs> she wrote a memoir. And, yeah. Oh, my God. Did all you can do to milk it. But there was just not many milk in the cow. Not many milk in the cow? Not many milk in the cow for her to make money off of this. Not and enough she... to fill a barrel. No, absolutely not. And yeah. God, that's, and, that's just so sad. And she died with not that much money. But what she did do was inspire some copycats, including George Stathakis. <laughs> an immigrant chef from Greece who was 46 years old and a bachelor when he made the decision to go over the falls in a barrel. He hoped that the revenue from such a trip would generate could be used towards the publication of his book on metaphysical experiences. Oh my god. So this... Did he live? Man, George Stathakis, uh, decided that he had to have this just ginormous barrel made of, like, you know... Thick oak plates, band banded with steel, paneled with a layer of cork, and fitted with steel buffers at both at both ends with the clamped 16 bolts. Plenty of protection. This barrel weighed like a ton. He's like, yeah. This feels like a bad idea. He was cautioned against it by Red Hill Sr., who was a rescue guy at the falls for years and years. Yeah. He's like, yo, th this barrel's way too heavy. He's like, nah, it's fine. No, because things, but George, things that are heavy, they, they gather speed <laughs> and also don't float super well. And he's not doing this alone. He's bringing his pet turtle, Sonny Boy, along with him. The f okay, that's fine, George, but both you and Sonny Boy are going to die. Not Sonny Boy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god, what happened? So, <laughs> he goes down the thing in a barrel, and 
Uh, it took... F- and he goes down really slowly because uh, it's a very heavy barrel. It was like, it took him like four hours to, like, for them to even find the barrel. But yeah. So they couldn't find the barrel for four hours after it fell over. Yeah, because it went down so slowly and just, you know, went deep. It disappeared. So, like, they're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't have a lot of air in there. No. So, so, so he's a goner. Sunny Boy, though, he's fine. Sunny Boy. Because he's a, like a swimming turtle? He's, he's a turtle. They, not much is known about Sunny Boy. So George dies. George dies, but... What, what, what else? Are there other copycats? Yes. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, after, after the barrel was recovered, the thickest body lays into Morgan Niagara Falls. Uh, is there anything interesting in this last... Probably not. No? Oh. Before he entered the barrels, the thickest said, uh, if we don't come up in three hours, there won't be any use to living anyway. So, you know what? He got what he wanted. So I mentioned uh, Red Hill Sr., the rescue man. Here's Red Hill Jr. Oh, God damn it, Red Hill Jr. <laughs> Red Hill Jr., uh, the last guy I'll talk about today because he's the guy who got this banned. Side note, how was this not banned before? <laughs> Red well, Hill. how would they stop you? It's a good point. Like, you just have to go upriver in a barrel. Yeah. You, there's no one who could stop you from doing this, Justin. I just want you want you to remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but like you know, this is when they really started like cracking down on people who are like, "Hey, I'm announcing I'm gonna do this." They're like, "Hey, don't announce that." So, <laughs> fair enough. Red Hill Junior, uh, <laughs> son of the rescue man. Some family dynamics going on there, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, can we just talk about that for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> what a finger to your dad. Yeah. The guy who counseled people against this. You're just going to do the one thing he's when been telling people not to do. When you have his name. Yeah, that's so funny. Okay, yeah. so. Red Hill Jr. <laughs> God, tell us about Red Hill's experience. Junior, of course. Well, he was not the first Hill to do this. Lloyd, his younger brother, did it in a steel barrel, but was thwarted when his barrel was caught in a weir used by the Canadian power plant. So after his, so he was rescued from the barrel, and uh, the barrel just dropped into the falls without him in it. So Sad. the following summer, Red Hill Jr. didn't chose a steel barrel, a steel barrel, but a contraption he referred to as the thing. Honey, I'll be back. I'm going over the falls in the the thing. thing. Some claimed it to be a rubber ball. But in fact, it was 14 rubber truck inner tube tires covered with heavy canvas and held together with a thick net. (laughs) The inner tubes of truck tires? Yes. That's actually kind of genius. The ends were packed with even more inner tubes, and Red Jr. was held in place with even more inner tubes. (laughs) An all-inner tube production. I like it. Okay. He was also equipped with a hose and mask so he'd be able to get air if needed. At 2.30 p.m., Red Hill climbed to his homemade contraption and began his journey. He did this. He did not specify the time. He only specified the day so he wouldn't get caught as easy. At 3.05 p.m., Hill's thing was spotted going over the brink and disappearing into the mist and the thundering water below. Ten minutes later, Hill's thing was recovered, tattered and torn apart, Four inner tubes have been torn loose and the netting wasn't tattered. The only evidence of Hill Jr. were his shoes. 
Yeah. I don't like that at all. They found his body the next day. He died. <laughs> here's the thing, and here's Red Hill. Red. Oh, oh my, my God. Over his face. So what's crazy to me? Yeah. What's crazy to me is that a woman makes it yep. the first time she tries. 64-year-old just woman. a barrel. Lifetime teacher. And then two dudes <laughs> who are younger yep. and ostensibly more physically 46 fit, and 38. Yep. They both die. Yeah. Doing more complicated and seemingly safer things than the barrel. So here's my question. Is it the oak barrel? Is it the, like, like what is it about this woman yeah. and her plan, which is not really a plan. No. It's a suicide attempt. <laughs> what makes her better? I, I think it had to just be the right barrel at the right time. Not too heavy, not too, I, not, yeah. not held together by fishing net. Just a barrel, you know. It worked for the cat, so she had some line. And uh, she's like, yeah, this works. And it, it did. Like, so, you just stand upright, let it happen. It's like, <laughs> I think she had some, like, cushions inside, too. So it was, you know, just not overthinking any of it. Which does not seem like the right... <laughs> that doesn't seem like the right mentality to have. But it worked. There. No, I think there's a lesson here. Just don't overthink it. Yeah. Is this a list of all of the people who have yeah. gone over? Those are just the notable ones. Okay. Uh, yeah, Bobby Leach survived. He was with the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Regular barrel? Metal barrel. Metal barrel, okay. Uh, Young Lucier survived in a large ball with a steel frame and rubber covering. Okay, so it's not barrel exclusive. Yes. Uh, okay. Charles Steffens died in a barrel. <laughs> so... So it's luck. Yeah, basically it's luck. Because, like, look at the red and green here. Oh, these are died and survives. Okay. Yeah. Walk me through some of the other survives. Uh, Nathan Boya went over the falls in a rubber ball nicknamed the Plungosphere. The ball hit rocks on impact and bounced, but Boya was uninjured. Boya had launched from the American shore, which have normally resulted in him going over the America Falls. However, a current took him closer to the Canadian shore. This is really interesting. I would like to see math on the death rates from the American and Canadian sides. Yeah. Are you more likely to die if you're from the American side or the Canadian side? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. Yeah, because all these say uh, Horseshoe Falls, which I don't know where that is. Horseshoe Falls is the big fall at Niagara Falls. Yeah. There are only two American falls. There was Steve Trotter, who had his second successful attempt after police foiled his first. You got him once, cops. You're not getting him again. He's doing this thing. So they, he, he died after that? No, he survived. Oh, wow. He's just told me to read the survived ones. Yeah. Uh, give me some funny dieds. Are there funny dieds? <laughs> um, some, most, a lot of these are just accidents. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Kirk Jones is the most recent death. What uh, year? 2017. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. People continue to do this now? Yeah, he, he made the attempt in an inflatable ball. Some of this is, I just think, like a complicated suicide attempt. Yeah. That's rough, Kirk. I'm sorry. Who is the last person to survive? 
unnamed. <laughs> in 2019, yeah? Yes. Uh, Tell me the story. Uh, officers responded to a report of a person in crisis at 4 a.m. on the brink of the Canadian side of the falls. Once officers got to the scene, the man climbed the retaining wall, jumped into the river, and went over Horseshoe Falls. And they went down, and the man was found sitting on rocks at the water's edge. That is ominous. What? This with dude. With nothing. With nothing. Yeah. I'm going to click this link. <laughs> this is the craziest story that you've told me yet. That's all that's non-life-threatening injuries. Oh, shoot. Kirk Jones, the guy who died, was actually the first person to live after a fall without a protective device in 2003. And then he did it again with a protective device and he died? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. I think that this should be a project we work on. I think we should do a 30 for 30 about barrel fall. I, I yeah. thought that I was gonna be like, oh, some weirdos in the 1920s did it. They stop everyone now. I'm much more interested in the yes. modern half of this. I think we should do, we should commit a full podcast bonus episode to this. I am down. I'm calling the police department in the area, and I'm learning more about this yes. recent event. This sounds awesome. Yeah, because there's not that much information about this. About like, they must have a police report. Yeah. Because this just seems so ominous. Man at 4 a.m., Goes over the falls, probably a suicide attempt, but if he's just sitting on the brother's edge, non-life-threatening injuries, what, what the hell? How is this the only thing I, we know about it? Yeah, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a Fox affiliate. Yeah. On their website. They got some reactions by people. I'm sure that's lovely. That's insane. Okay, well, we have to wrap up today. Yeah. But this is fascinating. This is. I'm, I'm happy we knocked this off. I, I'm absolutely down to do some investigative journalism on Niagara Falls in a barrel. <laughs> Sounds like a real barrel of fun. Hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. This has been a behemoth of an episode. This has been a weird. How long have we been talking? Hour and a half? Yeah. Well, enjoy editing that. <laughs> I will. That's oh, got nothing else to do tonight, so. Rad, rad, rad. I have to write a four-page paper, so I can't Ooh, help boy. at all. <laughs> and I should go now. Yes. Because also, college football will be starting in 40 minutes.